All right, we're there in 2 Kings 7. First off, I just want to thank Pastor Jimenez for this opportunity to preach. It's always a great privilege to preach the Word of God, and um, I'm always very humbled to receive this opportunity. Uh, we're here in 2 Kings 7, and of course, this is a famous story with these four leprous men and how God uses them uh, to deliver the, the nation of Israel from the king of Syria. Uh, I want to give a little bit of a context so we can understand uh, sort of the, what's going on at this time. If you go back to chapter 6, look at verse 24. It says, And it came to pass after this that Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, gathered all his hosts and went up and besieged Samaria. And there was a great famine in Samaria. And behold, they besieged it until an ass's head was sold for fourscore pieces of silver and the fourth part of a cab of dove's dung for five pieces of silver. So there's the king of Syria. He's besieging the, uh, the city of Samaria. And what that means is he's surrounded it. He's created a blockade so no one can get in and no one can get out. And basically what he's doing is he's starving the city to death very slowly uh, to the point where uh, if you've got an ass's head, you know, you're, you're fine dining there. And people are buying and selling bird poop to eat it, okay? That's how bad it was. Now, that's not inflation. That's scarcity, okay? When something becomes very scarce, it becomes expensive. And food was more valuable than silver at that point because it you don't have food, you're going to die, okay? So who cares about silver at that point? So that's the situation they're in. And I'm not going to read through the rest of this chapter, but uh, the king of Israel finds out that there's these two women that decide to make a deal that they're going to eat their own children, okay? They split one of the children between them. They eat that one. And then the, the other mother hides her child. So kind of uh, doesn't keep up her end of the deal there. And this causes great distress on the king. He rents his clothes, and he gets really angry. And so what does he do? Does he get angry at himself, or does he get angry at the sins of the people that caused this to happen? No, he gets angry at the man of God, okay? And he sends, to, he sends for Elisha because he wants to tear Elisha's head off. He wants his head. And so there's this confrontation where the messenger from the king comes to Elisha, they have this, uh, this confrontation, and Elisha has his, his helper, you know, bar the door, keep this guy out. He's after my head. And then we get in verse 33, while, uh, And while he yet talked with them, behold, the messenger came down unto him and said, Behold, this evil is of the Lord. What? Shall I wait for the Lord any longer? So basically what he's saying is, you know what? We're tired of waiting. I'm taking matters into my own hands. I'm coming after you, Elisha. And so he responds with verse 1 here. Then Elisha said, Hear ye the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, Tomorrow about this time shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. Then a lord on whose hand the king leaned answered the man of God and said, Behold, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, might this thing be? And he said, Behold, thou shalt see it with thine eyes but shalt not eat thereof. And of course, if you're paying attention or following along in the reading, you learn that uh, that came true and that man ended up getting trampled underfoot. So there's a, a lesson there. You know, don't mess with the man of God, okay? 
So this is a situation we find ourselves in. And the scene kind of cuts there. And now we're in a different place. Verse 3, And there were four leprous men at the entering in of the gate. And they said one to another, Why sit we here until we die? If we say we will enter into the city, then the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit uh, still here, we die also. Now therefore come and let us fall into the host of the Syrians. If they save us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. Uh, To give a little bit of depth to these people, because we don't really know much about these leprous men, uh, keep your place here, but go to Isaiah 66. Isaiah chapter 66. Why did God choose to use these four leprous men? It's a common theme throughout the Bible that God uses the most unlikely people to accomplish His tasks. There in Isaiah 66, look at verse 1. Thus saith the Lord, the heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Just, just picture that in your mind. Okay? The heaven is His throne. The earth, where we live, is His footstool. Okay. It says, Where is the house that ye build unto me? And where is the place of my rest? Now, when I read that, I kind of find it a little bit funny. Okay? Because, as, if, as you know, or as you may not know, you know, King David wanted to build God a house, right? And God said, No, but your son can. It was King David's idea. God didn't say, Go build me a house, right? And he's kind of saying, where is the house that ye build unto me? And I picture God on his throne, which is heaven, and the earth is his footstool. And I just kind of picture him with a large telescope, like, where is that house? Oh, oh, there it is. It's just, I mean, that's just kind of how I think about it. Uh, And it says, verse 2, for all those things hath mine hand made. And all those things have been, saith the Lord. Now, basically what God is doing, he's saying how great he is without saying how great he is. Okay? Notice what it says here in verse 2. But to this man will I look. Even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit and trembleth at my word. Go back to 2 Kings 7. God says he looks to the man that is poor and of a contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word. The Bible teaches that, that God resists the proud, but giveth, but giveth grace unto the humble. God can use anyone. In fact, He's looking for people to use, but He can't use you if you're proud. He can use anybody if you're humble. And that's what I believe these four leprous men in verse 3 are. They're humble. They are poor. They obviously can't work a job. And it says that they're, they're at the entering in of the gate. Why are they there? Because they're begging. They're lepers. They're cast out of the city. They cannot be in the city. They cannot work a job. So they're poor. And as a result, they're of a contrite spirit. You know, they realize they're humbled, they're humbled by their circumstances. And I believe that they trembled at God's word. And the reason for that, if you go to verse 9, and they, they, uh, then they said one to another, We do not well. This day is a day of good tidings, and we hold our peace. 
If we tarry till the morning light, some mischief will fall upon us. Now, therefore, come that we may go and tell the king's household. You know, they have conviction. So I believe that these men fit that Isaiah 66 criteria. That's why God chose to use them to deliver the nation of Israel there, because they're humble. So that's just kind of the, the introduction to my sermon. The title of my sermon, I kind of struggled with this, but I, I just titled it, How to Be Effective. How to Be Effective. And you'll understand that here in a minute. These four leprous men understood something that I, I think that many people don't understand, especially if you're younger. Uh, if you're older, you've probably thought these things through. They asked this question that's very poignant, that's very thought-provoking. If you look there at verse 3, and they said one to another, why sit we here until we die? Uh, last year, you know, my wife and I went through some things. You know, it's just part of life. Uh, my wife's grandmother passed away in our home. And then later in the year, my brother-in-law uh, passed away, unfortunate circumstances. And uh, just being around that and seeing that just got me thinking about these things. Um, there's, there's a practice, I, I, I guess it's a practice, but most religions have some sort of uh, version of this. But there's a Latin phrase that's uh, called memento mori. Memento mori simply means to remember that you have to die, or basically to remember one's death. Now, death is something that's a part of our lives. I want to preach on how to be effective in your life. And the thing about that is that we need to understand the limits of life. If we're going to be effective in our lives, if we're going to make an impact in the world around us, the people around us, we need to understand the limits of life. Okay? Let's explore that a little bit. You know, that concept of remembering death or memento mori, you know, it's out there in the world and you got to understand, the devil takes the things of the Word of God and he twists it. So there's a lot of weird things out there, right? Um, monks, you know, would have human skulls, you know, just uh, placed on their desk, or they'd have carvings of skulls and things like that, or people, would be, people are just fascinated with death in general. Then you get weird things like, you know, the Day of the Dead and things like that. Those are all, you know, perversions and twistings of the Word of God. But it's actually a biblical concept to remember the fact that one day we're going to die. Okay? Go to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. In order for us to live effective lives, we need to understand the limits of life. And the first limit is the certainty of death. You're there in Hebrews 9. Look at verse 27. Hebrews 9, 27. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. Now this is sort of a, a parenthetical verse, but by itself it stands true. Okay, It is a truth that one day we have an appointment with death. Okay? There is a day appointed, a day, a time, an hour that is appointed for you and for me to, for our lives to end on this earth, okay? Now, that's different for different people. If, if you're saved, 
you know, that means you're going to go to heaven, right? If you're not saved, that means you're going to go to hell, okay? Very simple. But it says, wants to die, but after this, the judgment. So for Christians, after we die, there's one day coming where we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Go to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. Memento mori, remembering that we have to die one day, that we will die. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 reads, For we must all, notice that word must, this is a certainty, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. So as a Christian, you know, our sins, praise God, are paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. Where you get to go to heaven for free. It's a free gift. But the thing is, there is an appointment with Christ. God has an appointment with you before his face. He's going to ask you, what did you do with your life? And that's a certain thing, as certain as death is. Uh, but for the unsaved, go to Revelation 20. The unsaved also have an appointment. A person who dies without Christ, they die and they go to hell, according to the Bible. The instant they die. Revelation 20, verse 12. But one day they're actually going to be raised up again. Revelation 20, verse 12. And I saw the dead. That's not the saved, because the saved are never referred to as dead. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. So there's an appointment, a judgment for those that are saved. You're judged for your works. But there's also an appointment for the unsaved where they'll be cast in the lake of fire. So we need to understand that there are limits to our life. If you want to truly live, you've got to understand these limits that death is a certain thing. Uh, go to Luke chapter 12. Luke 12. We have the certainty of death, but there's also the uncertainty of death. Well, what do you mean by that? Luke 12, verse 16. Luke 12, 16. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room to bestow my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. This guy was living the American dream, wasn't he? But God said unto him, Thou fool. 
This night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So we have the certainty of death, but we also have the uncertainty of death, meaning we don't know when that day is going to happen. We don't know when that day will be. Now, God knows, but we don't know when that day will be. So understanding, do you see like these thoughts? It should get you to think about what you're doing with your life. And that's the point of that, of that parable. So is he that layeth up treasure for himself is not rich toward God. What is that saying? It's saying get rich toward God. Amen. Okay? So we have the certainty of death. We have the uncertainty of death. Go to James chapter number 4. I know this is not a very fun sermon, but uh, we're just looking at what the Bible says, right? Uh, James chapter number four. And you know, I know there's some people that need to hear this. You know, and I, I, going through this, I'm like, Lord, is this really what I should preach? And I had nothing else in my mind. This was it. This was just like consuming my brain. James chapter four, verse 13. So we have the, the certainty of death, and we have the uncertainty of death, but we also have the swiftness of death. James 4, verse 13. Go to now, ye that say, today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year, and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now ye rejoice in your boastings, all such rejoicing is evil. Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. So we see here that life is short. Go to Psalm 39. Now even if you lived all your days, right? Even if you lived to 80, 90, 100 years old, there really is not that much time. I'm going to show you that. Psalm 39. Psalm 39, verse 4 says, Lord, make me to know mine end. That's what we're doing this evening. And the measure of my days, what it is, that I may, that I may know how frail I am. Behold, thou hast made my days as an handbreadth, and mine age is as nothing before thee. Verily, every man at his best state is altogether vanity. The psalmist says, make me to know mine end. And memento mori is, is a biblical practice in the sense of doing it the way the Word of God says. To remember the fact that we have an end. To remember the fact that we don't know when that end's coming, when it's going to be. And even if we lived all our days, even if we lived the fullness of life, those days are still short. It's like a vapor. If you've boiled water on the stove, which I'm sure you have, that vapor comes up. It's just, it's there and then it's gone, right? And the psalmist here says that thou hast made my days as in handbreadth. 
Now, I don't know if you've ever seen this illustration. Um, I, don't, I don't have a rope, but basically uh, you have a long rope that goes, you know, that side of the building, and I have this little end right here. And I would have the end of the rope taped so you can see this little section, right? Well, this little section is your life. And the end of that rope, it doesn't end. That's eternity. And when you have that in your perspective, it should determine, it should impact how you live your life. Amen. Why is that? Because look, if you take this end of the rope, most people, they don't, they don't understand this. But if you actually picked up that end of the rope, your life, and you shook it, that's going to impact eternity. You're going to see that ripple effect go through, and it's going to impact the rest of eternity. But you know what? It's just a handbreadth. It's just a vapor. So what are you going to do with your vapor? What are you going to do with the life that God has given you, as short as it is? So this is, these are the limits of life that we need to understand in order to live effective lives. Now, if you're not motivated by now saying, man, I get this, go to Psalm 90, Psalm chapter 90. If you're not motivated by now, like just check out the rest of the sermon, okay? Psalm chapter 90. Look, there are two types of Christians in this world. Those that do and those that do nothing. That's it. There's no in between. You're either in or you're out. You're either on board with God or you're not. Okay, there's no in between. Otherwise, you're lukewarm. Psalm chapter 90, look at verse 9. This is actually a prayer of Moses. For all our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. The days of our years are threescore and ten, and if by reason of strength they be fourscore years. Yet is their strength labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off, and we fly away. Who knoweth the power of thine anger? Even according to thy fear, so is thy wrath. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. So we get a lot of heavy application sermons here at this church. And the point of them is to apply them, right? It's application. Apply it to your life. It's wisdom that you can put to your life. Go to Ecclesiastes chapter 10. So what is the point of all this? What is the point of realizing that our days are short? What is the point of uh, recognizing that we don't know how long we're going to live? And even if we did live our days, they're short anyways. Why are you depressing me? Well, as we just heard from the book of Psalms, it's so that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Why, do you, why should we apply our hearts unto wisdom? Why? Well, Ecclesiastes 10, look at, let me, let me go there really quick. Uh, start in verse 9, Ecclesiastes 10, verse 9. Whoso removeth stones shall be hurt therewith, and he that cleaveth wood shall be endangered thereby. If the iron be blunt, and he do not wet the edge, 
Then must he put to more strength. But wisdom is profitable to direct. So what does this mean? What is it talking about the iron? Well, in verse 9, we're talking about cleaving wood, chopping a tree down, okay? I don't know if you've ever, has anybody ever actually chopped a tree down with an axe? Brother Max, awesome. All right, so not very many people, okay? If you've tried to chop a tree down with a dull axe, it's not very easy. It'll literally, some trees are so hard, it'll just bounce right off, okay? Notice it says in verse 10, if the iron be blunt and he do not wet the edge. Now, wetting is another word for sharpening. If you do not sharpen the edge and make that axe sharp, then must he put to more strength. It's more difficult to cut the tree down. So let me put it in another way. Have you tried to fillet a fish with a butter knife? It doesn't work very well. You're going to get mangled up. You want that fillet knife, that sharp knife, that sharp edge, right? Just slices super easy, minimal effort, okay? What the Bible's saying here is that wisdom sharpens the edge. We are workers for God, right? We're here to work. Work for the night is coming, right? If we have a blunt edge, if your life is a blunt edge, you're going to be struggling. A lot of Christians live, try to live this Christian life and do all the work in the flesh, right? Their edge is blunt, and it wearies them out because they have to put to more strength. Man, this Christian life is so hard. Oh, but they don't realize they're the problem. They're the ones making it hard. So what do we do? We apply wisdom to our lives. So um, where do we get wisdom? I mean, these things are so simple and it's so obvious. But go to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 2. If we want to live an effective life, we need to apply our hearts unto wisdom. Proverbs 2, verse 6. For the Lord giveth wisdom. Out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. He layeth up sound wisdom for the righteous. He is a buckler to them that walk uprightly. Wisdom comes from God. And if you want to live an effective life, you're going to have to tap into the wisdom of the word that comes out of his mouth. That is the word of God. Right? Now, I could just say, you know, read your Bible every day. Now, that you should. And that really is a strong point of this sermon is that you need to be getting the wisdom of the Word of God. And this sort of ties in with uh, Pastor Jared's sermon this morning. Go to Psalm chapter 1. Reading the Bible is not something that you should do just to check off a list. This isn't some competition where we're all, you know, seeing who could read the Bible the most or, or whatever. Now, you should read the Bible, and sometimes you got to do things out of duty. I understand that. But that's not why we read the Bible. We don't read it to, to check it off the list. Psalm chapter 1, verse 1, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Notice, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Now, 
I have this little illustration, and it's probably not perfect, but living life is like setting sail in the ocean, okay? You've got a destination that you're trying to get to, and you've got a heading, right? Now, my destination, hopefully your destination, is Christ. Now, obviously, we're saved by grace through faith, right? There's no working to heaven. Jesus Christ paid for it all. But one day I have a meeting with my Lord and Savior. I want that meeting to go well. I don't want to be ashamed. Now, obviously, none of us live a perfect life. We all sin. We all come short of the glory of God. We mess up from time to time. But when I get there, I want to have something to show him. Like, look, I, 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 I took that investment that you put in me, and I gained you some interest. I took those talents that you gave me, and look, I've got five more. I don't want to be like the, the wicked and the slothful servant who buried his talent in the earth, in, his, in the napkin. God's expecting something. So that's my destination. My destination is that day when I stand before the judgment seat of Christ. That's what I'm living for. But how do I get there? You know, how do I have... Uh, what am I doing to prepare for that day? Well, for setting sail, you know, Christ, our destination, that meeting with Christ. Um, if you're sailing in the ocean, you don't have landmarks, right? You're in the middle of the ocean. There's no land anywhere. How do you know where you're at? Well, back in the day, they would check the stars, right? They would use the, the sextant, and they would find their latitude and longitude, and they'd find out on the map where there are, and they could set their... Their, their compass to find their heading, right? They would do that every day, right? Because their, their position is constantly changing because you've got currents and winds, things that are affecting the, the ship. The point I'm trying to make is in order for us to get to that destination, in order for us to obtain that goal, what matters are your daily habits, Amen. okay? The daily things that you do to get you to that destination, okay? So that, that really is the main point of this sermon. But I have some other things I want to uh, share with you. Go to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 12. I'm going to turn there with you. Hebrews 12, look at verse 1. There are some things that will hinder you in life from uh, getting you to that destination. There are some things that are going to hold you back from living an effective life. Because why? Life is short. We don't know when it's going to end. So we need to make the most with the time that we have. Hebrews 12, Look at verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of God, or the right hand of the throne of God. Remember, Jesus is our destination. What are the things that are going to hinder us in this life? Every weight 
and the sin which does so easily beset us. If you want to live an effective life, you need to get besetting sins out of your life and keep them out. What is, that? What is a besetting sin? It's a sin that's going to keep you from the work of God. Look, there are sins that will get you kicked out of this church. Drunkenness, fornication, covetousness. Those are besetting sins that are going to keep you from serving God. Obviously, if you're struggling with a sin, get in the Word of God. Because maybe you need to wet the edge. Maybe you're struggling with something. You're, 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 you're beating this monster, and you can't get it out of your life. Maybe it's because you just haven't wet the edge. You need the Word of God, which is sharper than any two-edged sword. Go back to 2 Kings, verse 7, uh, chapter 7, 2 Kings 7. Really, there's, I'm going to leave it up to you to figure out how, you know, what you need to do to live that effective life. You know, I, I've, I've given you the facts of life that, you know what, life is short. We don't have much time to live on this life to affect the rest of eternity. You have just a handbreadth of days. You have just a vapor to impact, you know, I'll say it again, eternity, which is forever. So what are you going to do? How are you going to live your life? Because that day, that appointed day with Christ is coming for each and every one of us. 2 Kings 7, verse 3 again. Why sit here until we die? Look, death is coming, so why are we going to sit here? The point is, let's just do something. These men, they realized, they looked around at their situation, the circumstances, and they said, you know what? We're probably going to die if we stay here. We're probably going to die in the city. We're probably going to die if we go to the Syrians, but there's a chance we could be alive. They just did something. Don't be the Christian that does nothing. Do something. You say, I don't have the strength. I don't have the knowledge. I don't have the wisdom. Well, good. You know what? It's right here. I have one last thing to say. And this was kind of a a little twist at the end of the sermon. Um, Go to 2 Kings 6. There's this story here. Um, We'll finish up here soon. There's a story about a floating axe head. Now, it kind of occurred to me when I was reading Ecclesiastes 10.10 about the iron, if the iron be blunt. I was like, you know, I know there's a story. So I went to here, I'm like, okay, I know there's meaning to this story. And if you ever read this, you're like, why is this, why is this here? Well, let's look at it. Uh, 2 Kings 6, verse 1. And the sons of the prophets said unto Elisha, Behold now the place where we dwell with thee is too straight for us. Let us go, we pray thee, unto, unto Jordan, and take thence every man a beam, and let us make a place there where we may dwell. And he answered, Go ye. And one said, Be content, I pray thee, and go with thy servants. And he answered, I will go. So he went with them, and when they came to Jordan, they cut down wood. But as one was felling a beam, the axe head fell into the water. And he cried and said, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. And the man of God said, Where fell it? And he showed him the place, and he cut down a stick and cast it in thither, and the iron did swim. That's kind of an odd story. I mean, picture that. An axe head 
You know, he's cutting down these trees. They're doing the work of God, and they're growing. You know, they said the place uh, where we dwell with thee is too straight for us, meaning it's too small. So let's go build in Jordan. He says, go. So they're building. They're expanding. They're doing the work of God. The edge of their, their iron is, is sharp, and they're getting work done. And then something happens. They, they're working hard. They're working so hard that axe, fly, that axe head flies off into the, into the water and sinks. No more work. You know, for some people in your life, there will come a time, maybe it has come, when, when the axe head flies off in your life. Something happens, some circumstance, or maybe you fall into some sin, and it just, it seems like there's no hope. This, this man here, he says, Alas, master, for his borrowed, he had no money to pay that axe head off. But we see the man of God. He says, Where fell it? And he showed them the place, and he cut down a stick and cast it in thither, and the iron did swim. I don't know if you remember in the story where there was the, the bitter waters of Israel, right? Moses threw the stick in, and they became sweet to drink. What does that stick picture? It pictures the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. It pictures uh, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Look, there's going to be a point in your life when you think that all hope is lost. And you think, how could I even go on? You go through something, maybe you lose a loved one, or maybe something just bad happens, some tragedy happens, or maybe you're just stuck in this sin. You think, I, I, can't, I can't do this anymore. But by some miracle, God comes in and he makes that axe head to swim. And what do you do? You pick up the axe head, start chopping again. You may be in the middle of something, but just have hope, you know, that the iron will swim. All that work that you've put into sharpening that iron and all the, the, the trees that you've chopped and the houses that you've built, it's not in vain. The iron will swim. You just got to get out and do the work. Don't worry about tomorrow. You know, just get out there and do the work of God. Do what he's called you to do. Be a student of God's word. Meditate in the word of God day and night. Be a soul winner. Be faithful to church. Stop messing around because life is short and you might be gone tomorrow. Don't worry about tomorrow. Worry about what you can do today. Amen. Uh, just, sorry, one more verse, okay? Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. And this will just be my final statement here. Plan for tomorrow, but focus on the things that you can do today. Matthew 6, verse 34. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. And my goal is when I stand before Christ that you know, obviously we're all going to be humbled at that point. But I want to have you know, something to show for the love that he showed me. 
Don't worry about tomorrow, the next week, the next year. You know, plan, plan for those days, plan for something. But what are you doing today to affect tomorrow? It's, it's today. Serve God today. Don't wait for tomorrow, rich man. You might not have tomorrow. So let's think about these things and keep these things in our minds. Remember that our days will are short. They're a vapor. It's just a hand breath. We're here for a short time. And you know what? You're all here for a reason. God has something for you. Just get out there and do it. Be like the leprous man, the leprous men. They don't they didn't know what they were getting into. They're just let's go do something. We're gonna die. Let's just go do something. So let's end in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I just uh, I pray Lord, that you would help us to remember these things, to help us to apply these things to our life, and uh, help us to serve you and love you all our days. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.